Welcome to the Classic City Church Podcast. For up-to-date information and ways to get involved, please visit us at classiccity.org. Good morning. <laughs> Thank you. Um, it's great to be with you all again. Uh, so we're continuing a series on the Psalms this summer. Uh, we're looking at the Psalms, see what they can teach us, what they can model for us, how we can uh, imitate the Psalms and um, what they can show us. The last couple of weeks I've been uh, looking at some different types of Psalms, Psalms for different emotions, Psalms for different uh, occasions. We looked at the laments um, to show that we can cry out to God, we can be sad and frustrated and angry even, and that God invites us to walk with him through those emotions and through those experiences, and that that actually can be a holy act of worship to do that. And then on the flip end, that God invites us to celebrate with him. He wants us to genuinely engage with him in a way that's excited and enthusiastic and and really excited about what he's doing in our lives and the world around us, and to celebrate that We kind of talked about how we can transition from a lament into a a celebration and how there's just this common thread of God's love and his mercy and his kindness and how those kind of continue to carry us through each of those things. And uh, so today we're going to continue looking at a different type of psalm, a psalm of praise, and see what that can teach us and model for us. Because I've been kind of continuing with this kind of thesis statement, this kind of idea that the Psalms are the soundtrack of the Bible. They are the musical expression, the poetic expression, the emotional expression of what so much the rest of the Bible is trying to teach us and show us through stories, through lessons, through theology. Whereas all of those things just kind of tell us about these things. The Psalms are something we experience. The Psalms are something we can participate in and, and mimic or model our, our, our faith life after. And so they kind of serve a, a unique purpose there. And we've looked at different genres of Psalms, different occasions and different emotions like I've mentioned. Um, but music can do other things. Sometimes we use music to teach. We use music to entertain. We use music to um, express ourselves, but sometimes we use music to teach, to learn something, to make something known. I guarantee, I mean, I don't know for sure, but I bet you, (laughs) I'd I'd put money on it, I bet you 100% of everyone can sing a song, the same song, and it's called the ABCs. I bet you everyone here knows A, B, C, D, E, F, G. I'm willing to bet everyone knows it. And even if you don't speak English, uh, I bet you know a song for your ABCs, <laughs> right? I bet you everybody knows uh, that song. And that song was taught to us as kids because for some reason we learn really well with music. Many of us maybe learn songs uh, about the countries around the world. Maybe you learn songs uh, to memorize cities and capitals. I learned a song about the states. It was in alphabetical order. It went Alabama, Alaska, Arizona, Arkansas, California, Colorado, Connecticut. I'm going to stop. But you get the idea, and I bet many of y'all know songs like that. And it's not just a children's thing. Even in seminary, my Greek professor had us memorize songs to remember certain uh, grammar rules. So it's a common thing, and and people use songs to, to learn and teach themselves things. But there's other ways that songs teach us, not just memorization. They teach us in other ways, uh, they can teach us about experiences, um, about stories. 
right? Uh, Homer's Odyssey and Iliad was a song. It was an epic long song that could be played with like a guitar type instrument and sung. Uh, we don't know what the music is now and all of that's lost to us, but it was originally a song to teach a story, to, to teach the mythologies and the histories of the Greek people. Um, we use songs to walk in other people's shoes, right? A musical is a, is a song, and it's something that we can experience, and you can get a new point of view through a musical. And so music can teach us in a lot of different ways. And as I've argued, the Psalms teach us uh, through music, and they model for us. And specifically, we're going to be talking about praise, which praise is the expression of uh, respect and gratitude towards someone or something, right? It's, that's what it is. There's the big word of worship, but lamenting can be worship. Celebration can be worship. Showing our thanksgiving, right? Praise can all be worship. These are all different types of worship. And so praise is like its own little special type of worship that involves thanksgiving, that involves gratitude, that involves showing um, a respect and an admiration for um, the way that uh, something has impacted us or affected us. And so um, we're going to look at how praise is used in teaching. And whereas I've been kind of arguing the Psalms are teaching us a lot of things, I want to talk about how, the, how our praise, your praise, when you're praising God, can actually be used to teach others. It can be used as a way to make God known and for people to be exposed to God um, through your praise. Now, praise doesn't always have to be in the form of music, so I'm using music as kind of that analogy there, but um, just so we're clear, it doesn't have to be in the form of music. And in fact, most of our praise I would not expect in the form of music, unless you're just one of those people who live life like a musical and uh, go around singing all the time, which is great. <laughs> Anyways, we're going to be in Psalm 138 today, if you want to go ahead and turn there. This is a psalm of praise. Uh, many Bibles title it that way. And so we're going to be looking in here and seeing what it teaches us, what it shows us about praise, but also how praise can be a really important aspect of our faith lives when it comes to sharing our faith and making God known in the world around us to others who maybe don't know him quite yet. Um, while y'all are turning there, this summer with the youth, we're actually doing a Bible study using the worship songs we sing in church. Uh, and what we're doing is we're studying the scriptures that inspire the songs, because little do you know, a lot of the worship songs you're singing during church are literally plagiarizing the Bible, which you say plagiarizing, and that sounds like a bad thing, but that's actually a great thing. We want our worship songs to plagiarize the Bible. We want them to have scripture built in, because when you have scripture in a worship song, you can be sure, like, this is a solid worship song. I don't need to think about the song. I can just sing it. I can just worship because it's in there. And so it's really neat. We're doing a Bible study this summer with the youth where we're looking at those scriptures that have led to or that are just plain pasted into the song um, that were taken straight from scripture. So that's kind of a neat way that we see even our worship songs here can be teaching us things. In fact, I would argue a lot of times, many of y'all are going to walk out of here and you're not going to remember anything I said, but you're still going to be humming and singing that worship song that you heard. That's going to leave a lasting impact on you, maybe more than anything I did up here. And so the worship song, the things we sing, they do have a big impact on us. All right, so many of y'all are probably in 138 now, and uh, what we're going to be looking at is how this is a praise psalm. 
what, you know, see the ways that it's, resp it's expressing respect and gratitude towards God, but we're also going to see what it's telling us what we need to do, how we need to live, how we can be making God known in our world uh, through our, our praise, through our gratitude, because that's a big question. What is praise for? I think many of us take for granted worship and praise. We just, it's a natural expression when you're excited and thankful. You know, we, we lavish praise on other people. We don't think much about it. But the Bible actually makes an argument that praise isn't just an expression, that it has more meaning and more purpose behind it than just purely um, wanting to express something towards God. And so I want you to think about that, like, what is the purpose as we're reading Psalm 138? Um, I told you all to turn there, but I'm not turned there yet. Here we go. Good thing I got bookmarks. All right, here we go. Verse 1, I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart. Before the gods, I will sing your praise. I will bow down toward your holy temple and will praise your name for your unfailing love and your faithfulness, for you have so exalted your solemn decree that it surpasses your fame. When I called, you answered me. You greatly emboldened me. May all the kings of the earth praise you, Lord, when they hear what you have decreed. May they sing of the ways of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord is great. Though the Lord is exalted, he looks kindly on the lowly. Though lofty, he sees them from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes, and with your right hand you save me. The Lord will vindicate me. Your love, Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the works of your hand. So we're going to walk through this psalm a little bit and uh, focus on a few key details uh, and kind of see what it's showing us, um, what, it, what it's kind of telling us about praise. And one of the first major kind of themes that we see in that first chunk, those first few verses, is this idea that, one, God is the greatest. He is the most magnificent, right? It, it even calls out some beings or people that we would consider the greatest. It says, let's praise him in front of the other gods. It's almost like, let's show off about our God in front of all these other gods. Let's show how much greater he is than those things. And for them, it might have been Asherah and Baal, these, these uh, ancient Near Eastern gods of the time, idols and things like that. But for us, we have a lot of things like we worship, things that we bow down to, things that we um, focus our energy and in, in our, even though you don't think about it, your worship right, on money, on power, on influence, on your reputation and how people view you. And what it's saying is God is higher than that. God is so much higher than that, and we should praise him in front of all that stuff. We should show off in front of those things. And then a little further down, it mentions, may the kings praise him, right? And in ancient Near East world, kings weren't just like some person who came down a family line and uh, they were just the guy in charge now, I guess. Um, kings declared themselves deities. Kings declared themselves gods. They were to be not just respected as the authority figure in the nation. They were to be worshipped. There was to be statues that were put up, and people would bow down. People would bring sacrifices to them. Israel was actually very unique in that world during that time, because in Egypt, the pharaohs were gods. In Babylon, in Persia, the kings were gods. In Israel, the king is not a god. The king is not a god whatsoever. He is just a man who is serving under the one true God. He's meant to serve the nation under the one true God. Now, some of the kings maybe got, you know, they, they 
got into sin and thought they were as high as God. But that's not the archetype of what, uh, how God kind of constructed his nation, unlike Egypt and Babylon and Persia and Assyria and all these other nations during that time. And so when the psalm is saying, let all the other kings around us bow down and worship and praise God, it's saying, let all these other God kings, right, all these kings who have declared themselves deities, let them submit themselves under God. And so right off the bat, it's saying God is the greatest. He's better than the gods. Whatever gods you're worshiping, he's greater than them. And whatever um, kings you're worshiping, he is greater than them. And so it's saying, let God be known as the greatest. And it's kind of interesting. It's this idea that you want him to be known. Not that you're just doing it and like maybe they'll notice. It says, no, go and do it in front of them. Let people know. And this is a common theme throughout the Bible is that God wants us to make him known to the nations. He wants us to brag about him and talk about him. To, and, that, and that's what he means, like, not just, it, praise isn't something that you just privately do in the closet, but it's meant to be this thing that kind of shows off about God. Um, Lisa read from 1 Chronicles 16, and I'm going to actually pick up from there and read um, just the, the first two verses, because I, I think it kind of drives home this idea. It says, verse 8, give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him. Praise, sing praise to him. Tell of his wonderful acts. You see how the idea of praise here isn't just like a private thing. You are praising in order to make him known to the nations. You are praising him in order to tell others of his wonderful acts. Praise isn't just a like private thing of worship, but it's actually something that the Bible and that God kind of presents as a way we impact and make him known, make his reputation known among those who don't know God. We should make God famous, which is kind of weird, right? Obviously, God should be the most famous person in the world, but many people don't know him. We can all think of times when we did not know God and then we did know God. And so we're called to make him famous. And I think fame is a really, it's a really weird thing if you think about it. Fame, just because you're famous doesn't mean you're powerful, doesn't mean you're rich. Uh, sometimes people want to be famous, and no matter what they do, they can't become famous. Some people don't want to be famous, and they can't help it, they just are. They try to get rid of the fame, and they can't seem to get rid of it. Some people are addicted to fame. Some people are a victim of fame right? Fame is this really bizarre thing. It, it can be something that poisons. It can be something that's used for good, right? You can use your fame um, in positive ways. And so it's kind of interesting that this idea of we need to make God famous, but that's what praise is presented as, as making God famous. Um, I bet, here, raise of hands. Let's get a little interactive. Why not? Raise of hands. Who has a story where they're like, I met a famous person once? wow, yeah, that was better than I thought. I'd say that was over 50%. And then I bet each person knows somebody who has a story where I met a famous person, right? Everyone's got like, I met a famous person. Maybe you just saw them from afar and they, like, you watched them interact with people or maybe you actually interacted. And something I noticed is just like a trend when people share their I met a famous person story. It always seems to get boiled down to uh, were they nice or were they rude? That's like, that's like what people, like, either you're telling the story of meeting the famous person, and the moral of the story was they actually were nice. 
Can you believe it? I didn't expect that, but they're actually pretty nice. Or they, you tell the story, and then the people listening are going like, but was he, did you think he was rude? Did you, you know, it sounded like he was rude. Was he rude? And for some reason, we get tied up in, like, people's reputation, and then you decide from that one interaction that that person's a bad person, or no, that person's actually a really great person. And I, I sometimes think about those stories, and I go, you know, yesterday, if I was a famous person and someone came up to me and said hi, I would be put in the rude celebrity category. <laughs> like, I would not, like, there's a, I think we, like, decide this fate about them based on that one uh, interaction. But it's interesting when we tell others, we proclaim the actions of others, we kind of make these decrees about whether they are good or whether they're bad, whether they're rude or whether they're nice. And in a strange way, that's what praise is doing. We're going around and we're saying, hey, I've had an interaction with this famous person named God. And let me tell you, he was really nice. He was really great. That was a great experience. And that, you sharing that experience actually paints people's perspective of what God is like. But sometimes we totally forget. This is how I know that I'm a broken person in need of a Savior, um, because when I go through a really hard time and I turn to God, right? Ooh, I'm a good Christian. I pray to God about my hard thing I'm going through. And maybe I talk to some other Christians so I can get some sage uh, Christian wisdom, and they say, you know, be patient you know, just wait in the Lord. I go, yeah, that's good advice. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to wait in the Lord. And then when finally things resolve themselves, and maybe they don't resolve themselves on my timing or the way I want, but they do resolve themselves. I've experienced God walking with me through that situation. And this is how I know I'm broken, because then someone says, hey, how, how, are, how have things been? And I go, well, you know, I had this little dip here, but now I'm on the up and up. And that's it. That's all I say. God's not a part of the equation. I don't say, oh, and I went to God over and over, and then finally he walked through with me. I just totally forget him. I leave him out of the story. It's kind of like if you were driving down a really busy highway, and all of a sudden, violently, your tire popped, and you swerved through the road, and you pulled off to the side, and you're like, oh my gosh, that was pretty scary. That was pretty nervous. Many of you maybe know how to change a tire. Some people don't, and so let's imagine you don't know how to change a tire. You think, who should I call? This family member or maybe this friend? And you call one of them, all right? And they come. And they help you change the tire into the dinky little spare. And then they follow you to a, a tire store to get a new tire put on. And then they even follow you home and just make sure, are you okay? Are you cool? Everything's good? Okay? And then you're telling somebody about this story later. And you're like, well, yeah, tire popped. It was scary. And then huh, an hour later, I was home safe and sound. And they'd be like, really? That's weird. How'd you get home safe and sound? How did everything work out? They would be like, there seems to be more to the story that you're not telling me. It's because you've completely left the hero of the story out, the person who came and saved the day, the person you helped. And I think most of us, if a friend took time out of their day and came and rescued you in that kind of way, you would be like, oh, this person's awesome. Here's what they did. They helped me. They, they provided for me. They, they served me in this way. They're awesome. You would sing the praises of your friend, right? But a lot of times in our lives, we kind of forget. We leave God out of the equation. But when we're leaving God out of the equation, when we're not praising him, when we're not making him known, because God's working in your life, right? If you have a faith, if you have a relationship with Jesus, he's a part of these aspects of your life. But when we forget to praise him, we're not making him known to others. People are missing out on getting to know 
who God is. I think real, two, two of the best people at this I know are Lisa Mason and Elizabeth Rogers, my wife. I, <laughs> yeah, give it up. Um, I, I think they're so good at when they're just having a conversation with someone, they talk about God like he's a real person who actually was a part of the problem, not, not causing the problem, but working through the problem. They were, God was actually a part of the situation, and he was part of the resolution. He was a part of the victory in whatever situation. They give credit where credit is due, and when you do that, that has an incredible uh, testimony, an incredible impact. It's a form of evangelism, and so I think we think of praise as something we do here in these chairs, separated from the rest of the world, but really, the way the Bible's presenting it, praise is a way we make God known to the gods. It's a way we make known to the kings. It's a way we make him known to the nations. It's a way we make him known to others. And when we're not praising him, we're kind of denying people an opportunity to know God, to maybe ask the question like, that Jesus guy, he helped them. Huh, could he help me? Is that something? I, I mean, I'm watching them. They're a great person. I respect them. Could he be a part of um, my, my problems, my things I'm dealing with. Paul actually kind of speaks to this a little bit in Colossians uh, chapter 1. Um, and he says this in verse 27 through 28. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all energy Christ so powerfully works in me. He's kind of saying, like, we're, we're having this impact on Gentiles. We're having this impact on people who don't know Jesus yet. And a big way that that's working, a big way that we're proclaiming him is by demonstrating the power that's already working inside of us, demonstrating the blessings that he's poured in us, demonstrating our relationship with Christ. When we are showing this and displaying this, this is how people are uh, hearing about Jesus and receiving him as Lord and Savior. And so when we praise, we are giving people the opportunity to know God better. So that's my first point. God is the greatest, and we should make him known. We need to make him known. But why is he the greatest? That's kind of a dumb question, right? He's God, right? Whoa. But um, the Bible doesn't take that for granted. The Bible tells us, why is God the greatest? I think we do take that for granted. Oh, he's just God. It's by definition. He's the greatest. But Psalm 138 tells us that God is worthy for one specific reason, because he cares for the lowly. That's what we're told. He cares for the lowly. And it, and it, I really I like the verse where it kind of talks about the gods and the kings and how high they are and how high God is, and yet this contrast of how deeply he cares for those who are lowly. Christ is, for us, the perfect representation of God, right? He's the one that we can relate to the most and understand the best. And we're told in the New Testament that everything Jesus did, everything Jesus uh, said, was something that God said, it's something that God did. And when we look at his life, he cared deeply over and over for the lowly. That's what made him worthy. Even if you ask non-Christians, okay, Jesus, you've heard of him, but what makes him special? 
And a lot of them is like, oh, well, he, he, he helped the sick, right? Many people know these things, that he helped the poor, that he did these great things. When you hear about people talk about famous, uh, famous individuals in history who weren't some kind of like king, uh, you've got, you know, Gandhi, Martin Luther King Jr., Mother Teresa. They're all famous because they cared for the lowly. That's what made them famous among the world. And that's what they're saying makes God worthy and makes God famous, is how he cared for the lowly. Even though Jesus was God of God, he came down and walked on the earth. Even though Jesus was the king of kings, he came as a poor uh, carpenter's son, right? Even though he was the Lord of lords, he dealt with the sick. He, he interacted with those that everyone else said, oh, stay over there, don't get near us, don't touch us. He would touch them. He would eat with them. He would um, be with them. Even though he was this perfect, sinless Messiah, he still died and took on the sins of those who betrayed him. God cares deeply for the lowly, and we're, we're told that that's what makes him worthy of praise. That's what makes him worthy of praise. Uh, Paul continues the same train of thought in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where he's kind of expressing... Um, how God likes to work through the lowly, how God works through lowly means, and how if we want to enjoy those benefits, if we want to be a part of what God's doing, then we have to also be a part of the lowly. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 through 31. It says, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And when you're boasting in the Lord, that's a, that's a type of form of praise. That's a type and form of praise. And so 1 Corinthians here and Psalm 138 is kind of presenting us with a question. Um, are you the self-sufficient? Are you the person who says, I'm good. I don't need God in this area of my life or in this area. Or are you the lowly? Because when you're the lowly, that's where God wants to meet you. That's where God wants to work. And when he works, then he's doing the thing that makes him worthy. He does the thing that leads us to praising him. You can't praise God without finding yourself in that position of need and see him come to your rescue. You can't praise God without um, depending on him. You can't thank God and, and show your gratitude and your respect if you just think of God as, I don't need him, he's fine, he's way over there. And so this is a really important aspect of what it looks like to praise is the position of humility that we take, this low position. And that kind of leads me to my third and final point that I want to uh, look at from one, uh, Psalm 138, is this idea that when God comes, when we call out to him, he answers. That's what it says at the end of the psalm. I called out to God and he answered. When we cry out to God, when we are lowly, when we've lowered ourselves, and we call out and he answers us. Maybe he doesn't answer us when and how we want it, but he does walk with us. He does join us in that, um, that lowliness. When he does that, it says it emboldens us. It strengthens us internally. It builds our strength and our resolve. 
we become emboldened. In Romans 1, 16 through 17, Paul uh, kind of sh- shares the same sentiment. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation, and to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The main thing I want to focus on is that part at the beginning is how Paul says he's not ashamed of the gospel. The reason why is because the gospel is powerful. He's not ashamed of Jesus dying on a cross because that guy rose from the grave. He conquered death. He's not ashamed of um, the forgiveness of his sins because now he's in glory. He's experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit because he's been made clean. Why would he be ashamed of these things? He's seen God move powerfully. Why would he be scared to, to share? He's emboldened because of God's faithfulness, because of God's love and mercy for working through the gospel. In the same way, this is what Psalm 138 is saying, when God answers our call, when God rescues us, when God um, provides, when we're in the position of lowliness, um, it emboldens us to praise him, to declare his name, to talk about him. We want to share in these opportunities um, when we're asked um, when I was in college, I was really growing in my faith, and I got to a point where I wanted to be sharing my faith more. I, th- I think a lot of Christians experience that. You've started growing spiritually, and you're like, I need to be doing more, right? It says make disciples. I need to be making disciples, or I need to be um, proclaiming his name to the nations, if you will. And uh, it was just something that I-, I struggled with a lot. I was very nervous and very tense about talking to somebody, and I I just kept making the excuse, like, I feel like nothing's happening. I feel like the opportunities aren't presenting themselves, and I had a mentor who discipled me that I met with, and I kind of opened up about this, and I was, like, kind of dreading, because I was like, he's just going to tell me, toughen up, right? Just toughen up, and, uh, you know, just do it. God tells you to do it, and he's done so much for you, and you need to just suck it up and do it, but what he actually asked me was, have you prayed for opportunities? Have you asked God, present me with an opportunity to share about you? I said, no, because in my mind, I thought, I need to do this for God. I need to prove myself to God. When, I mean, that's not what the gospel's about at all. The gospel's about, no, God wants to partner. In fact, he wants to lead the way. And if I'm not praying, if I'm not asking God to lead the way, even in this area of my life of sharing, what am I doing? So I started doing it. I started praying each morning about, God, give me some opportunities. I think they started off as very half-hearted prayers. But what's crazy is, little by little, every single day, it might have been a big opportunity. It might have been a tiny little passing opportunity where I just said something to somebody in in the, uh, like, checkout line somewhere. But each day, God was giving me opportunities. And when I was seeing God answer my prayers, it made me feel like, oh, God really is the one in control of the situation. When it was just me, no prayer, just going into a situation, I felt like I, um, I was weak. I, I didn't have an advantage. I felt like they were in control of the situation because I was just like, oh, I want to talk about Jesus, but I'm scared what they'll think of me. 
But when I prayed and the situations were presenting itself, I was like, oh, God provided this opportunity. God provided this situation. He's the one who has determined the battlefield, <laughs> so to speak. He's the one in charge. He's the one leading the way. And so because of that, just that small thing, that attitude, even though I might have had similar situations prior, just because I knew that God had answered the prayer and that he was in charge, I felt so much more bold in just talking about my faith, about my, my, uh, my relationship with Jesus. Um, proclaiming his goodness and sharing about him. I'm not even talking about like walking somebody through the gospel. I'm just talking about making Jesus known and how he is involved in my life. I was just so much more emboldened because I knew that God had answered my call and that he's the one who had provided the situation. That's what it means when it says we are then emboldened to praise that when we are calling to him and he's providing, it strengthens and emboldens us to proclaim his name to the nations, to make him known among us. So those are kind of our three um, areas that I kind of wanted to talk about through Psalm 138. And something I didn't say is, even though you might have noticed, they all kind of lead into each other. It's kind of a chain reaction. Um, you could call it a circle of praise, <laughs> if you will. Um, it starts with God is the greatest, right? He's over the kings, and he's over the gods, the god kings. Um, and the reason he's the greatest, why, is because he cares for the lowly, like us. And when he cares for the lowly, it emboldens us, right? And when we get emboldened, we want to proclaim and make him known that he is the greatest, and he's the greatest, and, da -da, and it's just this kind of circle, and I was kind of like, I'm going to stand up and talk about this circle, and a lot of people are going to like, I, I, don't, I can't follow you, and so I made a graphic. Look at that. <laughs> so God is the great. I did this like last night at midnight. Uh, I was like, you know what? A graphic would be really good. God is the greatest. God, we know he is the greatest. But why is he the greatest? Why is he worthy of praise? Because he cares for the lowly. But when he cares for you, the lowly, when he cares for me, the lowly, when he cares for any of us, he answers our call, it emboldens us. And we're emboldened to do what? To proclaim and make him known. Make what known about him? That he's the greatest. <laughs> and it just kind of feeds into itself. I thought that was helpful. That's how I was imagining, as I was reading Psalm 138, I was like, oh, there, there really is a logic to this. There really is a flow. There really is a path here um, that we're on. And so I, I hope maybe that'll, that'll uh, really be the thing that sticks with you with Psalm 138, because I think it really helps encourage us and understand the role that praise has, not just in here, but out there. That praise really has a role in your life, at work, at school, in your neighborhood, with your families, with your friends. That praising God, talking about how he's in your life, how he's working. Just like you would talk about the friend who came to your rescue when your car broke down. In the same way, we talk about God who comes to our rescue day in and day out. We proclaim him and make him known so that others have this opportunity. So as I said, the Psalms are this musical soundtrack of the Bible the poetic expression of what the rest of the Bible is kind of showing us, and that music can be used to teach us, like I mentioned, the ABCs. It teaches us a lot of things. Lion King, it teaches about the circle of life. Psalm 138 teaches about the circle of praise. All right, there's a lot of teaching going on there. And praise is when we're showing our respect, our gratefulness, our thanksgiving to God. And whether you're doing that in the form of psalm 
song or not, which most often our praise probably isn't in the form of song, it points other people to God. It points other people to Jesus and makes his greatness known. And so it, it, it's this circle of praise. We praise God because he's the greatest, but he's the greatest. He's worthy of praise because he cares for the lowly. And when he cares for us, when he answers our call, when he loves us and shows us mercy, it emboldens us to just continue that cycle of proclaiming his greatness to the nations. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful for you. We're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful that worship and praise really is more complicated, more deep, uh, presents and provides so many more opportunities than we're always aware of. Um, Father, we just thank you for your son who came and served us. We pray that we would remember just how much we depend on him and how much we need him and that it would lead us to praise, but not just privately and internally, but externally and to the world, to our friends, to our neighbors, to our coworkers. We pray that we would praise you in front of them and before them so that they can know how great you are and that there's an opportunity even for them to join in praising. We love you and we thank you. Pray this in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.